Welcome to Learning Machine, a podcast about the uncertain future of education. This is Sam, here with Raven and Nathan, as always. Our guest today is David Rosas. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I think, I mean, and that's where I say it's been around for so long, and it's been used by legal scholars, it's been used by um, educational theorists. It makes zero sense to believe that five-year-olds are learning CRT in kindergarten, or eight-year-olds are doing this in third grade, or even 12-year-olds are doing this in seventh grade. Are we talking about some of the tenets of CRT in you know their curriculum? Absolutely. But no one is sitting kids down and saying, you know, this is what happened in 1975 when, you know, such and such created such and such. And like, no, no one is doing that. Um, what is happening is there's a commitment by many educators in this country, and I would say globally, to dismantle and to dismantle white supremacy through conversation, through analysis, through critical thinking, through problem solving, through critique, through debate. And it's what it's doing is putting children, putting youth, putting students in the driver's seat, right? The voice you just heard was David Rosas, an assistant principal at the Castlebridge School in New York City. He's also an urban education PhD candidate at CUNY, New York City. Back in August, at the beginning of the school year, David wrote an article for Chalkbeat that caught our attention, titled, I am an elementary school educator and I embrace critical race theory. In this political climate that created a boogeyman out of CRT, we wanted to hear from an on-the-ground educator who embraces it. We spoke to David about what embracing CRT really means for a teacher, that it's much less about the noise in the media and much more about, as he puts it, centering his students' lives and stories. Stay with us. Okay, so... We're about to dive into our debate topic for the week, but before we do, we want to hear your thoughts on this topic. So we've posted the question as a poll on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, If you've got a minute, come share your perspective. Okay, Nathan Raven, debate topic for the week. Uh, When I talked with David Rosas, one thing that came up a lot was this idea of, of teachers being able to talk to their students in the classroom about potentially controversial topics and who gets to decide what those topics are and, and really, you know, who gets to control what teachers say. So my debate topic for the week is who should decide what teachers get to talk about in the classroom? Should it be the teachers themselves, school districts, school boards? Should they have the most control? Should it be states or the federal government? Uh, should it be parents or maybe the students themselves? Who should who should be in charge? Raven, what do you think? This is a really hard question to answer because I feel like context matters um, and it would change depending on what on where you've experienced your education, um, probably how you identify as a person. Um, And so just thinking like majority of my education was in my home state of Alabama. And that's also where um, majority of my teaching career was. And um, because there is a lot of 
racial disparity between students and teachers, there were a lot of um, there were a lot of culturally responsive um, texts that I didn't have access to when I was in school because um, the community, whether um, subtly or explicitly, decided what could and couldn't be taught. Then also, like there were issues with you know um, revisionist history depending on like what teachers were comfortable with um, actually saying in class and they got to decide what we actually learned. And when I got to college, I realized a lot of that stuff was incorrect or um, left out, you know, lots of voices from the conversation. And so, but I bet that um, in other places uh, maybe where there is more racial parity um, between the the educators and the students um, and the community and where people are more on the same page, I guess, um, about um, culturally responsive curriculum and pedagogy, then probably they want to keep their um, local freedom to be able to decide or individual freedom to be able to, to decide what's in class or what's taught in class. Um, sometimes I do think that the federal government should at least set some national standards for our education because it doesn't make sense to me that, um, that depending on where you're, uh, where you experience your education, that you would learn, you would have a different quality of education than other people. But then also at the same time, it's like, I don't necessarily trust our federal government (laughs) to be, um, you know, culturally responsive or to honor diversity. So I, I really don't know. <laughs> what do you think, Nathan? Well, I, I think that you're, you're onto something like I, I'm sort of of two minds about this, but like Raven was saying, this is unfortunately a question that has to be answered within the context within which we live and within which, you know, our schools are set up. And if you're talking about school districts, states, and federal government, the people who hold the power in those bodies are predominantly white men. And and even in the teaching profession, right? We've talked about on one of our previous episodes, most teachers, teachers are predominantly white in the United States. And so if we say that these are the bodies that get to decide what is taught and what is, you know, allowed to be taught in our classrooms, then inevitably we're going to end up with, you know, a system that basically perpetuates what's already in place. So I think, you know, the only sort of recourse to that is to say that parents should, should be, you know, the parents of the students who are going to be reflective of the demographics of the student body should be the ones who are in control. Now, that being said, I will, you know, share one quick story from my own teaching experience, which is that in my first year as a teacher in New York city, I had one class that was sort of this, it was called a, it was a pilot computer science class where I was allowed to pilot this computer science curriculum and really had almost no oversight of what I was teaching. And while I fumbled a lot during that computer science course, I also feel like I was able to engage with my students in a responsive way where, you know, they would voice, oh, we want to learn this thing. Oh, you know, we're interested in this type of music or we're interested in careers in this sector. Can you teach us how computer science fits in with those interests? And being able to respond to them at such a hyper-local level 
made it one of the most memorable, best classes I've taught. I'm still connected with many of them um, now through LinkedIn because they're, well, I'm old and they're like professionals now. <laughs> that's that's so cool. And I think that that fits perfectly with the idea of CRT, whether we're saying uh, critical race theory and we're investigating the structures and systems that have created problems in education or culturally responsive teaching. And we're talking about what's going on in the actual classroom. And it fits well with my conversation with David, because we talked about the idea that what we're really trying to do is center students and student lives in the classroom, that the idea of being responsive in this way is reflecting student culture, reflecting that diversity, because it reflects the people who are there who are <laughs> learning, who are being taught. So with that, let's get into the interview with David Rosas. So here, here's what's here's what's funny. Um, CRT's been around forever, right? CRT's been around since the seventies, and you know it, it was it was around for twenty years before it crossed over into education, right? And so you know you've got folks like doc, Dr. Gloria Latson Billings who took CRT and literally like rubbed it into education and was like, "All right, we've got CRT, critical race theory," and then she put forth CRT, culturally relevant teaching, right? And she did that the same year. And so, you know, for me, that's extremely strategic that she did that because here's one informing the other, right? Um, and so we've got this idea of culturally relevant teaching where we're focusing on academic achievement and uh, children's cultural competencies and um, their socio-political consciousness. And we've got critical race theory, which is saying that we've got to constantly name and center race and racism in education and we've got to constantly challenge this, this um, dominant ideology, this white supremacy that's just all around us, right? It, it, it's the water that fish swim in. It's the air that we're all breathing. It's just constantly around. Um, and we've also got to center the experiential knowledge of those communities and those folks that have been racialized and have lived raced lives, right? Um, and we've got to do this in an interdisciplinary manner with a commitment to social justice. And so there are the five tenets um, of, of critical race theory, the five educational tenets, because later on you've got some different theorists who start playing with it and, and start, you know, taking those original tenets and, and, and tweaking them a little bit. So all that to say that here's this theory that literally has informed not just the, the scholarly work of, of, you know, hundreds of folks, if not thousands of folks in academia, but it has, I'm not going to say trickle down, but it has informed curriculum in schools. It's informed school policies. It's informed, and when I say school policy, I'm talking about like discipline and behavior management, right? Um, I'm talking about funding um, uh, in schools. I'm talking about um, teacher recruitment and teacher retention, right? And and being strategic as to, you know, what who do we want teaching in a specific community? And that's to essentialize and say, well, because you're in this, you know, predominantly black community, we need just black teachers. But if you look at the history of black education, in the U.S. pre-integration, right? You've got black schools all across the South with, I mean, thousands of children succeeding academically, financially, socially, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, so I know I'm a little bit all over the place, but what is CRT? CRT is, it's this big idea in this theory, just like, you know, um, Cooperative learning is another theory in education or um, project-based learning is another, you know, big theory in education or experiential learning. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And to expand on that topic just a little bit, um, you know, many of the teachers that I speak with are, you know, they're educating themselves about this. They're doing work, thinking about it with other teachers, with their school. Um, but then I also talk with teachers or hear of teachers that feel uncomfortable or unsure of what, how to approach these ideas. What would you say to somebody? What I loved about your article was it approached it in a positive way. I embrace CRT in my classroom. What would you say to somebody? Why do you embrace CRT in the classroom? And, and what is it, it a tool that can, how, how is it a tool that can help you in the classroom? I mean, why embrace it? Why use it as a tool? You know, in the beginning of my career in education, I thought, you know, there was this stereotype of teachers like, you know, you, you wear apples and, and, you know, you're super like chipper all day. And like, you know, you're just this, this, um, modicum of like, you know, perfection. Right. Um, and that's not true. We're humans. We're whole, we're whole people. Right. And so, you know, uh, not that I'm bringing all that to the classroom or, or to my, you know, role as, as, as an intermacting principal now. Um, but if I'm not necessarily in the best moods, there's a reason for that. Right. Or if I'm a little off, you know, with this lesson or with this uh, agenda, there's a reason for that. And if I see, for instance, the story of Goldilocks from a different perspective, there's a reason for that. Right. Um, and it's a perspective that I had and, in, in reading it one time to first graders in in the late 2000s, maybe, um, two of the kids were like, wait a minute, she's getting away and she's not getting a consequence. And I was like, say more. And they're like, but she just, she just broke into someone's house, broke the furniture, ate the food, and then slept there. And then she gets scared and runs out saying the, the three bears scared her. And then the kids stretch that out some more. And they're like, but wait a minute. She's white with blonde hair and blue eyes. And these bears are darker because they're all brown. That may, right? And so the conversation then starts going with, but why is she getting away with it? And, and now they got to clean it all up, right? And these are six-year-olds talking about that's not fair. Like at that level of six-year-old understanding, it's just not fair that they've got to clean it up. And they're made to feel like they were the bad guys for you know, questioning her, like, why are you in my house? Here are a group of six-year-olds who brought their lived realities to this read aloud, right? And here I am, teacher David, bringing my set of lived realities to this read aloud. And we're now engaging in conversation around, let, let, let's pivot this perspective, right? Because this story has been told for how many years? And everyone's thought that, you know, oh, what a great, you know, th there's a moral to the story. But if you look at it from another perspective, here's what's happening. And so why embrace CRT is because you're able to see more, right? You're able, you're open to seeing, not just to seeing, but to listening to different perspectives. You're open to including different raced realities in your role as an educator. And you're able to now facilitate this conversation across, okay, you see it that way, you see it that way, and you see it that way. Like, there's no truth here. Like, we're all seeing it from different perspectives, right? And we've got to hold space for each perspective. And at the same time, question why the author wrote it in this particular way, or why did the illustrator draw it in this particular way, right? Now, let's go to those intentions, right? Um, so all that to say, I embrace CRT, I use it as a tool, 
because it just opens up everyone's thinking, not just the kids, but the adults. Um, and by extension, the kids' families, right? Um, it opens up everyone's thinking to different perspectives and different um, realities so that we're not just stuck in our you know, singular raced reality and this is how the world functions, but we're actually you know, widening that. Um, and many times in my experience, it's been those folks who identify as white or who hold white, white privilege are the folks who've had the most you know, narrow perspective in terms of, but here's how the world functions, right? And so when you try to poke at that or bend it a little bit or like, you know, let, let's stretch that out a little bit, there tends to be a little bit of resistance there. Um, whereas someone who's been racialized as Black or Latinx or Asian or Indigenous are able to widen it a little bit more and say, ah, there's a connection between my race reality and your race reality, right? Um, so all that to say that I think I know that CRT just opens up to more, more perspectives and more thinking. Okay, and now we're headed back. Back to a place where the skyline looks like a distribution curve, where numbers rule and letters drool. I'm talking about Datatown. Oh, wow. I always have so much fun writing those, and then I'm terrified to actually read them. <laughs> like, what have, I, what have I written? But... All right. So, uh, Nathan Raven, you can see the data that, that I've pulled up here, but just to give everyone a bit of an intro, uh, you know, in data town, we like to look at a particular study or, or set of data and think about how it relates to education and the questions that we're probing here. And as we've gotten into this season, one of the questions that just keeps coming up is like, why is in this moment CRT such a hot button issue? Um, and as David pointed out in his interview, the idea of CRT and education via people like Gloria Latson Billings is decades old. It's it's been around for a while. These these ideas have worked their way into curriculum and instruction before this cultural moment. And one answer that's come up, like in our episode with uh, Professor George, is that there was a specific targeted campaign by the political right to make CRT uh, this this toxic brand and to use it essentially as a cultural weapon. And there's definitely something to that we've looked at and talked about, you know, the work of Christopher Rufo and the explicit work of the Trump administration to do just that. But there's there's another compelling explanation that this data sort of elucidates. And I, I wanted to see what you guys think of this. So, so let's take a look. Uh, NBC, the study from NBC suggested that another explanation to this idea of, of why CRT is so contentious right now is that there's real diversification happening in school districts around the country, and there is some white fear and resistance and reaction to that diversification. So NBC looked at districts that have had the most contentious debates about CRT and compared the rate of diversity increase in those districts to the national average. So the United States is diversifying, uh, but some places more quickly than others. And it's interesting to see that most of the places that are having the most contentious public debates about CRT also have seen the highest rates of diversity increase. And so we'll post this uh, table uh, or we'll post a link to the article on our website and we'll post this table on Twitter and Instagram. But Raven, Nathan, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Nathan, what do you think? 
So I, I think it's a really good point to bring up that this backlash, outrage, uproar over CRT, while it has been capitalized on by the political right, there, I think it is a, it's a false representation by the right that has gotten people upset, but I think that it's a little, um, you know, head in the sand from the political left to say that there isn't some underlying um, fear and anxiety that is provoked by CRT. And I think that that, you know, is sort of, I mean, it's understandable because I, I, as I understand CRT, CRT is an emancipatory philosophy, right? It is, it is a revolutionary philosophy. It falls into critical theory. It's related to Marxism, which, you know, as soon as you say Marxism, people get up in arms, but like it is. It's related to revolutionary ideas that some people have power and some people don't. And there are reasons when we see things happening in our country, like the, you know, the opportunity gap, racial disparity and educational outcomes, like there's a reason that those things happen and pointing them out is one of the first steps towards reversing them or breaking those chains of power and working towards equity. But breaking chains is you know, involves, I think, some type of revolution. So I I see why that is scary. Just looking um, at this, this uh, data and this article, you know, it also mentions that in these districts, there has been a lot, an increase in integration in the classroom. So like, I can't remember how it was worded in the article, but the question is in these districts are are the schools not only um, being more or diversifying more, but are white students coming into more contact with diverse students in their classes? And the data or the analysis finds that that is true. And so I think that that gets back to what Nathan is saying about um, the fear behind such an emancipatory um theory and curriculum because not only do um, people not want to lose the comfort, I guess, that they have um, knowing that their students are going to basically segregated schools and they're um, only going to be around certain types of people in their classes, but also it probably makes them nervous about what that means. Like if we liberate these diverse students, then what about their families and their parents and what about where I live and what about where I shop (laughs) and what about the perceived safety and comfort of my neighborhood or, or my district or my state? Um, And what does this mean for like the jobs and where I go out to eat? You know, (laughs) I mean, it's probably making them nervous about their entire way of life. Um, Mm -hmm. Which I think is not, yeah, I, I definitely feel that that fear is overblown. But at the same time, I do believe that, yeah, the political left hasn't done enough, I guess, to um, acknowledge that fear over the years. Like, to me, I believe that this kind of nervousness has always been there. And then it's just that, like, the opportunity, I guess, popped up to brand CRT as this big monster. But that fear was always there. And I think that... Mm especially during um, the Obama 
administration, those eight years, the political left didn't really acknowledge that there was this um, discomfort brewing and bubbling up, you know, across America. Um, And they sort of painted things like we were in a post-racial society. Um, Mm. And so then everybody acted all surprised, I guess, when there was all this backlash um, during the Trump administration and then after, as we're seeing now. But I don't think that it should have been surprising. I I do. um, I do hope, though, that like. Somebody is able to. Show, I guess, or or I don't, I don't think CRT should be in the conversation anymore necessarily. I think the question moving forward um, should be how people can brand, can rebrand diversity as a good thing because it is a good thing. It is a good thing for students to be exposed to all types of students, not just of different races and and ethnicities and linguistic backgrounds, but also like to be in classes with students of different um, physical abilities and, and um, of different socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't know whose responsibility it is to do that or how people will be able to do that. But I hope that um, people in these communities are able to show that like it, it is a good thing um, to make these students feel comfortable and to integrate students with each other in, in classes and in their extracurriculars and stuff like that. Um, but I guess you would need CRT to be able to <laughs> understand the systemic issues there and then solve them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It is a bit of a conundrum, but certainly uh, you guys have given me a lot to think about and hopefully uh, our listeners will be able to join the conversation and let us know what they think as well. That's all the time we have for the podcast today. Don't forget, check out this week's debate polls on Instagram and Twitter. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can find all of our episodes from seasons one and two on all major podcasting platforms. If you have a minute, we want to ask you this week to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us, you know, to find out what you think about the show. And it also helps other people who might be interested in a podcast about education to find us. Um, If you want to learn more about this week's guest, you can also find out how to support the podcast. Visit our website, www.learningmachinepodcast.com. To those who teach, listen, and learn, we'll see you next time.